Asamadids. You know what that sound means? It's another Monday, and this is another episode of Big Stick Energy, brought to you by myself, Tori Anderson. You can find me at Tori A. Alina, and my co-host, the best friend for life, Renee McCurdy, at Renee McCurds. This episode today is true and dear to Renee and I's heart because it's exactly what we have been struggling with for the last year. And to talk to the guest today is awesome because it gives us a bit of hope and a little bit of clarity on what the next steps might be to mitigate burnout. And coincidentally enough, I am doing this intro by my lonesome today because Renee is currently on the hustle. She works as a full-time nurse in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, so she she's on the hustle and fighting the burnout because that's the dream, baby. Gotta work hard to play hard. So this week's episode, we are interviewing <clears throat> Kaylin Thorian. Sorry, pardon me. Had a bit of a bubble in my throat there. Uh, Kaylin Thorian, which is super freaking rad. This chick has played in so many typically masculine spaces. She is a partner with uh, Harley Davidson. She is into fishing. She is skiing. She's doing so much and has a really cool perspective on growing up in traditionally masculine spaces, um, always feeling like she wanted to be one of the boys and then eventually finding a lot of empowerment in that feminine aspect, but, you know, still like loves hanging out with the boys like we all do. It's not really about like her versus him or X versus Y. It's about community and it's about support and finding that middle ground super freaking important. But we touch on a lot of different things in this episode. You hear a shit ton of my sound effects and my accents. And I want to apologize for that just right out the gate. Um, there's a little bit of ADHD moments in there. I think I drank like 18 cups of coffee before we did this episode, but overall 10 out of 10 entertainment value. And Kaylin was a pleasure to have on this episode. And I hope we get to shred with her in the near future. I don't want to spoil too much stuff, but if you've ever experienced burnout, your mental health is tanked, and maybe you just don't feel like going skiing from time to time, this is the episode for you because dang, we get into it and honey, you're not alone. This is another episode of Big Stick Energy, dropping in three, two, one. That was an intro. And now, Caitlin's going to introduce herself. Do you want to give everyone like a quick rundown? You know, the XYZ ABCs? XYZ? Hi, friends. Uh, I'm Caitlin Thorian. I'm a semi-professional sort of skier uh, based in Idaho. I also ride for Harley-Davidson, do the motorcycle thing. And a little bit of the outdoor thing. So I do some walking and some fishing and some stuff. And I'm currently with these lovely females here to discuss the ski industry. For males. Oh. Skiing. Gear. <laughs> For <bikes>. males. <laughs> For males. <laughs> so how and when did you get into skiing? Renee was telling me a little bit about, um, you know, like you had a pretty ignited start into the industry like you were all of a sudden like I'm gonna do this and you just developed your skills so quickly like when did that happen and what was that like for you yeah I had so I had a couple years under my belt skiing um before I graduated from high school and then pure tunnel vision I was like I'm gonna be a ski bum at Alta and take a year off before college gonna go do that and you know, literally I've been skiing for about two years total. Um, so moved to Alta, became a ski bum, flipped burgers, washed dishes, like did the whole thing. 
and just skied, you know, every day, every day and followed people that were better than me, you know, followed the boys, followed the girls, you name it. And I never thought anything of it. There was never any intention that this was going to become a career. Um, a, because I didn't have the proper upbringing to be a professional skier. I wasn't a racer. I didn't compete, didn't do any of that. And then B, because especially as a female, it's super hard to even think about becoming a pro skier. You know, the slot, there's one or two in the whole industry versus a couple dozen. And so that never was on my radar. And But what I do know is that I love to ski. And so I just kept skiing, kept skiing, and I kept working at Alta. I was a dishwasher, did the whole works, and would ski all the time. And then went out one day, I went out um, with a couple pro skiers at the time and they happened to have a photographer, Ian Coble, with them. And it was very casual. They're like, hey, do you want to come join us and just shoot some photos for shits and giggles? I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds fun. Went out, Ian Coble got some shots and it actually was able to allow me to create kind of a portfolio. And like, I did okay for my first round, like did okay. And, and so I put together a little portfolio and I just started cold emailing everybody every single company, every single photographer. And my favorite one to this day was I emailed Scott Markowitz and was like, Hey, Scott Markowitz, like my name is Kaylin Thorian. Here's like three photos of me skiing. And I would love to work with you someday. Like if you ever need an athlete, like give me a call. And you know, he wrote back very quick, like, Hey, thanks. Appreciate that. Never heard from him for a long time. And then all of a sudden, bam, one day there was the email. Someone dropped out of his shoot and he needed someone last minute. And he hit me up and happened to crush it with him. And then it just started to snowball, no pun intended. Like, got more photos, did all right. Got more photos, did all right. You know, they coached me, they helped me. And before that, you know, I started going out with photographers like every week. And that started to lead to more sponsors. And that started to kind of, you know, create an effect, a ripple effect of like, breaking my toe, just a little toe into the industry. By no means was I getting paid. Um, that's a whole nother <laughs> section of my life, but I was able to at least kind of get my foot in the door. And uh, that, that sort of started it. And then I had to do a lot of seasonal work. So we were talking about earlier how a lot of women, even some of the top tier have to have second jobs. Um, that's definitely what happened to me. And so I was, I was getting product from companies, you know, maybe getting some travel budget here and there, but I still had to work. And unfortunately my work was conflicting with my ability to travel. And so I figured I was like, I need to get a summer job of some sort. And it was either fishing, like what McKenna Peterson does or firefighting. And at the time, I didn't really like fish and I was really scared of the ocean. So I figured <laughs> finding forest fires was probably the better move. <laughs> and so I applied for a bunch of forest fire, uh, firefighting jobs and got one and then did a couple summers of that where I was able to make enough money over the summer to pay for my winters. And that really helped kind of push myself to the next level and get myself like really out there, could say yes to everything. Like, hey, yes, I can go to this trip. Yes, I can do this thing. And I was able to actually like start building some sort of clout within the ski industry and, you know, off it went. So by the time you kind of felt like you just worked through the summers and then you were actually able to go on these trips, like you already had sponsors at that point. 
Yeah, I had really low key sponsors, you know, classic, like, hey, we'll give you a bunch of product. Um, but for the most part, either you got to pay for your own trips or cover a lot of your costs or, you know, do it that way. Occasionally you get everything paid for, but you're still taking time off, you know, at least with that summer job, I was able to save up enough and then go on fun employment. We call it the government ski team. Um, and, and, uh, you know, do that. So that helped a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was able to, to go on these trips with my sponsors that were flowing me product, but I still wasn't getting paid to ski yet. Um, it was still very much like I had to make my own money, but maybe not necessarily out of pocket all the time. It's kind of how it went. Yeah. Better than nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh no. It was stuff. Like it, it was cool, but and and you know you gotta you gotta kind of like pay your dues. And, yeah. And, I think there's a know, gap I, too, I, even like between just like getting gear and then getting the call for anything as well. Mm-hmm. It's like constantly like proving that you can do the next step. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do this. And do the next step, and you almost have to do like you said, where you just like make yourself completely available somehow with whatever mm-hmm. sacrifices you're making. So that when they do call, you can be like, yeah, yeah, yes. I Because so. I've talked to a number of female skiers that feel like they've missed out because for school or work or whatever, they had to say no. And then they're left there, finally done school, and they're like, oh, crap. Well, I mean, it's passed me by now. So and I've heard. Like, hit it when it's hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and hit it when it's hot, and it's awesome. If, and I recognize that because I was like, okay, I – because in previous seasons when I was working at the resort, which was great, but like you, you're working, you know, every day, five days a week um, and you can't just take time off. Um, I realized, okay, if I'm going to make this really work, I have to figure out a way to where I'm just not working or obligated to anything during the winter. And so that means extreme work in the summer, um, which is great, but like not everyone has that opportunity or has that desire to do that. Um and I've talked to numerous women who are very skilled in their sport, but they can't seize the opportunities because they have to do their job. And then you go take a 180 to the people on the other side of that story. And they're like, oh yeah, they're not dedicated because they, they didn't want to take the time off to, uh, to do this trip. You know, if they truly wanted it, they would have done it. And I'm like, so if someone truly wanted it, they would have been okay with getting fired from their job and not having any money, but you're not willing to pay them? Like, how does that work? <laughs> so I don't know. It, it's it's kind of a twisted cycle and there's there's a way to maneuver through it. And I managed to find that one little sliver, kind of one little fine line, but I, not everyone has that opportunity. And it's it's it does get frustrating. You get caught in this flux where you're good enough to where you get product. You're not technically good enough to get paid. So you're caught in the middle, but you're expected to seize every opportunity. And if you can't, you're not professional. But if you do, then you might not have a job. So it gets gets a little messy in the middle there. (laughs) It does. Yeah. And that like, I think that on the athlete side of things, I know that I personally have felt with like a lot of personal shame when I can't meet commitments, but doing everything all the time, I am so burnt out. And I'm also broke. It's like, if 
I need to work full time, but then I'm taking off time to do these ski things. And it's like, I'm putting so much extra work into this, but I'm not getting paid. It's like, that's kind of where burnout comes in. And you feel Mm -hmm. bad for like failing, or if you like made a commitment and now you have to set boundaries because you're not doing okay. And maybe your mental health isn't okay. And it's just like, it's kind of this negative cycle where the industry really needs to pivot. And there's actually a lot of companies that are starting to recognize that. Like I've had meetings mm-hmm. with some uh, previous sponsors where they're like, we want to pivot to a paid model. And one sponsor that actually cut their entire ambassador team because they're going to move to like a single paid project model, which I think is great. Cause it's like, rather than product, like I can't, you know, like this season I'm selling a bunch of my gear again because I want to go on like two heli trips but it's like I have to do that because I'm in school and everything still. So I totally agree. It's like that kind of that weird spectrum. And it's really hard to figure out also when to ask for money. Like when do you have value? When do you have worth? When can you quantify mm-hmm. it past product? Which I think is something a lot of women struggle with. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, we're we're told to be humble and meek and, you know, kind of quiet in the corner. And I was very much that way in the beginning of my career. And it actually took um, a really wonderful woman, very uh, business-minded female. She, you know, I was I was just starting to kind of get some money from some companies, but I was always super shy to ask for for anything. First of all, and then when any sort of negotiation would happen, I'd be like, "Okay, no, that's fine, that's fine. Okay, yep, 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 that'll work, that'll work." And she literally pulled me aside. I was like, "Bitch, know your worth." You know, it's amazing the difference when you just go into a meeting with a different vocabulary, with your, you know, shoulders back, head high, strong, strong, confident female energy. And you go in there, you're like, nope, this is what I want. This is what I deserve. This is why. Boom. And you just lay it out. When you come in with that kind of attitude, even if it's the exact same shit you're saying, you just happen to change the vocabulary on it. All of a sudden, those numbers will double instantly. And, and I witnessed that firsthand. She told me that I tried it the next meeting I had, boom. They're like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. I'm like, wait, really? You're agreeing to this? You know, in my head, yeah. like, holy cow, that worked. Like, we're just told to be like, okay, yeah, that works. That's fine. Da, da, okay. All right. Instead of like, all right, here's the deal. This is how much I get paid. This is why, this is what you're going to get in return. This is my offer. Take it, leave it. Bye. And the difference is huge. Yeah, it's almost like you're meant to be grateful for what you have and like you should just be happy that you are getting what you're getting. It's kind of how I felt a lot of the time. You're like, oh, well, you know, you should just be glad you're getting something. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that the like typical, again, jacked up on my freaking class shit right now, but patriarchal model for the industry is that you only have value if you're performing like a dude, if you're offering similar content assets as a dude. Like, And right now, there's actually a huge shift societally where industries are looking to invest in underrepresented groups, right? And so it's like quantifying your value. Like that stuff doesn't really pass anymore. And mm-hmm. um, we talked about in a previous episode how we're sick of looking at videos of white dudes sending the same shit and landing switch and pow. It's like we want a more powerful, inspiring narrative. That is more important right now. So I think a lot mm-hmm. more people in those underrepresented groups have more value than the typical white dude who's shredding hard. And I also think that typical white dude that's shredding hard is not taking that very well, which we've seen in the comment sections. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. And you can't blame them. It's like, oh, it's <laughs> not going to be spoon fed to you anymore. Guess what? You're actually going to have to compete with people who have more to their life than that. And don't get me wrong, it takes a shit ton of skill and a lot of balls or vagina to do that. <laughs> but it's it's like, guess what? There's more to this industry than that. And I even saw There's that with to... talking to my. Yeah. 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 Oh, like even talking to my parents, like, God, this was like almost 10 years ago or something. We were at a ski premiere. And I was like, oh, guys, we got to see, like, the most recent TGR premiere. And I, like, dragged him out to it. This is over over 10 years ago, right before skiing became a slightly more story-based, um, you know, before, like, Sherpa Cinemas and all that came out. Um, it was purely ski porn. And took him to the movie. And they're like, yeah, Kaylin, we get it. Like, that was really cool. But I can't relate to any of that. And and I was like, what do you, you know, what do you mean? They're like, I mean, it's impressive. But, I, you know, I'm a... You know, at the time, my mom was, you know, 55. She's like, I'm a 55-year-old woman. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, <laughs> like, great. Like, I'm excited to go skiing. But I am I am more excited to see, you know, someone my age ski powder than someone, you know, hucking themselves. And we can all agree to that. Like, I am more interested in people really creating interesting stories, whether male or female, doesn't matter. But, you know, maybe finding more to this world than just the pure extreme. Because yeah. the extreme is what drove me to a burnout. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that can relate to that. It's like, because once you can't measure up to that, and you start to lose your worth and your own, like, self-esteem as a skier, whether you're in the profession or not, you know, it beats you up a little bit. But I like vibe with that on such a deep level after this most recent season. Like, I'm Same. sure we'll get into it. But, like, Fuck. yeah. <laughs> let's, mm -hmm. let's go there. <laughs> Let's dip into burnout, baby. We like I'm miss. <laughs> yeah. we and I miss honestly like. I do think that there is a place for ski porn. I said this, I think, even like earlier oh, yeah. today to someone else. Like, there absolutely is always going to be that place for ski porn, but it, we just need more of a relatable alternative as well. Something mm -hmm. that actually yep. is relatable to the everyday skier, everyday boarder. People who have life experiences, they are weekend warriors. They go to a job and then they shred on the weekend. They have life experiences. They have life struggles. And they go and they find skiing as a result, as a release. Or maybe skiing is, for me, this past season, it was like almost like the worst thing I could have done in some situations. Mm -hmm. But then I tried to go skiing and it just made me feel worse. But no one is painting that story. <laughs> True. I know the feeling, babe. I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes you more miserable. And that's the worst feeling in the world when it's the thing that you love. You it know? is. Yeah. Like being in a bad relationship, you're like, why? I love this, but I want to punch it in the face at the same time. <laughs> I know. It's funny because whenever I get into that headspace, if I hate this, I suck, why am I doing this? Renee always tells me it's just skiing. And then I'll tell her it's just skiing. And it's hard to yeah. remember that when you're doing it. Like we put so much value into performing in an industry to give ourselves value. And it mm -hmm. just like, at the end of the day, it's two pieces of wood with plastic on the bottom and you're skiing down frozen water. Mm -hmm. It's illogical to begin with. It is illogical. <laughs> it's like if you go up to a lot of the shit that we slide down in the summer, you're like, that's like a little violent. Okay, cool, 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 cool. It's just like, yeah, we're kind of a little bit sadistic, aren't we? Adrenaline mm -hmm. chasers. But um, yeah, burnout, super fucked up. I think just jumping back to the narrative of uh, 
ski media changing and what people want to see, I think that, you know, that off factor, and this is where I think the culture is shifting. And that's why like womb tang is popping off and you see all these movements that are trying to boost representation is that that like send it bro culture only appealed to white, like 20 year old dudes. It was like, it was kind of that inherent internal vibe where it was like, we're going to push ourselves almost into a dangerous field. We want to do the gnarliest stuff. We want to listen to like X, Y, Z, like all of it was kind of through the male gaze. And now as you see people coming forward who don't fit that narrative, the narrative is shifting, which is super freaking mm -hmm. cool, but it's more about growth and it's about determination and it's about literally making wine out of freaking water. It's like, mm -hmm. what did you do to overcome challenges? And who are you on a deeper level? Because just depicting that Narbar Henny Harlow athlete just doesn't have any flavor these days. It's pretty freaking vanilla, um, which is great. Yeah. You do you, boo-boo. <laughs> but I like somebody with a narrative. Somebody that's fought for something is determined. Like, that shit's inspirational. And when yeah. you're trying- like, We can all appreciate it. Like. You. You're, sorry yeah and no, when you're trying you're, to chase sorry. it as well sorry we're like all like so into it <laughs> but when you're trying to chase it too you're trying to chase that like ideal and that and pressure yourself into like i need to do this i need to go better get better and you just like your whole off season you're just focused on skiing and only skiing and what you're going to do that next season and you're planning it all out and then like one thing goes wrong and it can just like flip it all upside down or you just end up spending all of your time shooting photos and then you just get to a point where you're like I just need to ski for myself like I haven't skied for myself and I don't even know how long and you like kind of lose it a little bit yeah that and and you nailed it you hit like all all the proper nails in the head like you know don't don't get me wrong I was raised on ski porn and there's a big reason why I'm sitting where I am today is because of just good old classic ski board. I loved watching all, all the heavy hitters, you know, go after it. Eric Horlifson, Mark Adma, Inger Backstrom, you know, Sarah Burke, like just getting after it. And it was amazing. And it did, it did drive you. Cause you're like, maybe someday I will get there. But then you reach a point where you're just not internally wired for that kind of extreme ability, you know? And, and when I was getting paid, well, I still am, but you know what, when I was, you know, kind of purely getting paid to ski, I really started to beat myself up because I knew deep inside, I was never going to reach that. It's not because, you know, I, I didn't have the physical ability. Like I, I, I was, I'm built for it, you know, da, da, da. it's just mentally, I just wasn't wired to quite push myself to put my body on the line quite as hard as they did. And that, to accept that was so impossible to the point where it drove me to burnout. And I got so fed up with myself and so mad at myself that it made me hate skiing because I couldn't match up to that level. And since I couldn't match up to it, then you know what? I decided the most opposite. I'm going to completely turn my back to it. And that's how I'm going to resolve this problem. And it's unfortunate because, you know, some people might be like, yeah, I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to work harder. But I knew it just wasn't in here to quite get to that level. I was never going to be an Angel Collinson. I was never going to be a Michelle Parker. And now, now, after going through multiple years of that kind of like depression, I've settled with that's okay. You don't have to be 
that person. You don't have to be that kind of skier. It's more important that you're just a skier and stick with what you love. Just because you don't necessarily throw yourself off a massive cliff doesn't make you any less of a person, doesn't make you any less of a skier. You're just taking a different path. You're taking a different line. And that realization, I think a lot of athletes struggle with because we're forced to be like, you're only allowed to be the top of the best. You have to be the most extreme, otherwise you're worthless. And that's something I had to battle with for the last few years. And now going into this winter, I finally made peace with, and I'm happy. I'm excited to go skiing again. And that's amazing. You know? <laughs> that's something that I feel like I really had to come around to last winter as well. And like on a different scale, kind of entirely, but I felt like in a lot of ways I was like destined to like make my break. Like I had so many things lining up for me and then I'm, sure we'll get into it in a later episode that is where I can actually like flesh it out but I was involved in a backcountry fatality and it caused me a lot of anxiety and then I just got to a point where every time I was going skiing I was just anxious and then I couldn't ski very well and I was in an appointment with a therapist like in tears like I can't ski why can't I ski just tell me how I can ski because I was struggling just to ski groomers like left right like I couldn't do anything anymore I was just having such a deep mental block and I was so angry with myself and so frustrated and I wasn't having fun because I would like had myself stacked up against like me in my competition results and how I was skiing when I was hitting big airs and skiing fast and able to keep up with people on the freeride world tour and when I was skiing with those guys and like that was my Mm -hmm. standard And then now I'm in the situation, which is like entirely situational, but I had points where I was like, I should just quit skiing. Like I should just quit skiing altogether. I don't deserve any of these sponsors. And it's like that mentality you get into where you're like, well, I'm not that good. I don't deserve anything I have. I should just quit while I'm ahead because what am I even doing here? And it's Mm -hmm. really like sad that you get to that point because of what you're comparing yourself to. You just like had to reframe like, what is skiing to me? And like, how do I define success in skiing? And how do I define fun in skiing? Because Mm -hmm. for me, I'd like shaped fun so much wrapped into performance. But then if you're not performing, you're not having fun. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now that like maybe will reflect on how they ski and like what they think about skiing too. Because as soon as you make skiing about performance, you think you're having fun until you're not performing and then you're not having fun. Yeah. Yeah. And you you nailed it. You you totally nailed it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. Especially with social media, like, it, you know, it's one thing if like, okay, perform on the few days you're going out to film. But with social media, it's like every day, you know, I, I was expected to be up on the mountain. I should be skiing and not only just noodling around, like in my head, I was like, I have to be shredding. And, you know, someone would take a video and if it wasn't perfect, I'd be like, no, 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 like can't, can't use that because I didn't look my best or, you know, that line wasn't gnarly enough or that hit wasn't big enough or I didn't land that quite well enough. And if I didn't, then it was like, okay, you know what? It's all a wash. Like, I'll just pretend like I didn't even go up today. And that's insane. You know, like, how about, hey, I actually had a really fun day of skiing. But the second I chose to, like, get content for it is when it got serious and when the fun sort of was lost. Like, you know, uh, people like Katie Burrell are doing a great example of, like, kind of making fun of, hey, it doesn't need to be 
you know, full send all the time. Like, like let's, let's poke fun of that. To be honest, it's okay to maybe go get up at 1 PM, take a couple runs and then go get a beer. There's no shame in that. You know, the fact is that you went up. Um, but yeah, like the constant pressure of like always need to perform, like you were saying. And if you weren't performing, then you weren't doing it right. And it wasn't fun. You weren't doing your job and like all these things. And then you just get caught in this cycle of like, I might as well not ski because you know what? It's just not fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. When Renee and I were talking about um, some of the topics that you mentioned today that you wanted to talk about, it made me think about how I validate myself as an athlete and working in the ski industry since I was 14 years old and then moving into um, working with brands and, you know, doing professional shoots and all that kind of stuff over the last five years, I've realized that every time I mention what I do in this industry, I have to quantify it by the number of years that I've worked, like the type of shoots that I've been doing, like, it's like that I used to ski race, it's like, I have to talk about why I am skilled in what I'm doing. And it made me think about if like guys have to do that, like, do they have to validate mm -hmm. their experience or their ability? Um, if they're talking in like that type of setting, like it's like quantifying your value is important when you're working with brands because not everybody's going to have that sendability. Like where are you bringing equity? But how am I evaluating myself as an athlete and what I'm doing and what is valuable? Is it the progression that I have personally every day on the snow? Like you said, Renee, or is it like that I'm matching up to industry standards and expectations? And it was like, it really made me pause and think about um, where I'm placing my value. And I know that this year I struggled with the exact same thing. It was like, I got super depressed through the pandemic and isolated um, living at my parents' house because I wasn't able to see anybody else. And it just became really difficult to get to the hill. And then when I started not meeting like my content kind of quotas or um, wasn't getting shots that I was super stoked on, it became, I became like lightly avoidant and the same thing. Like I just didn't want to go skiing anymore. It was like, I didn't yeah. find fun in it. And then and like- it kills I, your confidence. It does kill your confidence. Yeah. yeah. But then I realized yeah. that I actually got way more days this year skiing for the soul than for the gram after that point. And those are the mm -hmm. days where like I went to my car and I felt good because it was just me with my headphones in and I was feeling it out with my girlfriends and it wasn't about getting the shot, nailing the turn, like doing the perfect freaking safety grab, which I've never been able to do in my life because my legs are short or <laughs> like trying new tricks and, you know, charging as hard as you can up the freaking track, like the ski skin track, because the people in front of you don't have exercise induced asthma. So mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it was more for the joy of it. But then it also made getting back into working with sponsors difficult, like daunting the amount of work that it takes to mm. do that. I thought I was getting dropped by everyone this year. And then they Same. all got into with me and they're like, no, you're good. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I was like so sure I was buying all my own shit this year. <laughs> I honestly mm -hmm. think like through school, my grades have dropped a little bit. And, you know, like I was like, man, this is going to look bad on my resume. But then if anybody gives me fucking flack for trying my hardest and not doing like as well as I was through a pandemic, psh, that person's got issues and I don't want to work with them anyways. It's the same thing with yeah. ski brands. Like how can you expect anyone to be a hundred after the last year? It was like a collective yeah. global trauma on many levels. 
Yeah, last year was a wash, and the outdoor industry did just fine. So if they They're want to bitch, then please. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the outsides. The outsides that sounded really mm-hmm. bad. The outdoors is one of the only places people are safe. So like gear sales are through the roof right now, which is totally. sick. And that's why I think like these types of movements and like elevating these conversations also have more impact because there's more people entering the outdoors who maybe haven't felt like they belonged previously. So there's more mm-hmm. identification there, which is a dope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kaylin, when you were going, when you were going through that burnout, did you feel like, um, I guess like what I'm trying to say is there's, there's a mentality that like, if you go skiing, you'll just feel better. You'll just feel better if you go skiing and people are so quick to just push you to keep going skiing, but Mm -hmm. no one is there to say, Hey, maybe you just need a break and that's okay. And you can take a break from skiing. And it's okay to take a break from skiing. Everyone's just like, yeah, you should just go skiing. You'll feel better. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And that's because skiing was initially my outlet and my medicine. That's how I first started. I was in high school and, you know, total like lost little teenager, like many of us were and um, had no I, sense of identity. I was trying to find myself, was trying to find an outlet and skiing happened to be that. And so skiing was you know, basically saved my life when I was a teenager. And so the assumption is, even if I am technically burnt out on the career of skiing, skiing should help me, you know, find the solution because it has in the past. And the fact that my go-to medicine, the guaranteed 100% every time will pull you out of the black hole medicine wasn't working. If anything, it was making it worse. That was terrifying because then I felt lost. You know, it's like losing your religion, your sense of who you are, your entire identity, the love of your life. It's a bad breakup. It's like losing your religion. It's everything was all of a sudden at, you know, at the forefront. And I had literally no idea how to get myself through this. The only thing that really helped was my motorcycle. And that kind of became my new, the two wheels became my two skis. You know, it was sort of my new, new outlet, um, but it's not a cure-all because I still wanted to come back. I still wanted skiing in my life. It's not like I wanted to say goodbye. Um, but you're exactly right, Renee. There has to be a moment where you actually do just step away. And you just cannot. You have to leave it for a little bit. And to accept that is exceptionally hard because it's who you are. And But I had to do it. And the first year of my burnout, um, it was about a two-year process. So when I left my sponsor at the time, and the rest of the winter just kind of was on my own. I think I skied like three or four times for over a span of like three months and just didn't want, didn't want anything to do with it. And it was the worst feeling in the world. And then the next winter, like, I'm going to do it for myself and had really, you know, a lot of good support, you know, backcountry came into my corner, but they were like, just do your thing. You know, we, we support you no matter what smart will the same way. And knowing that I didn't have that pressure allowed me just to ski for myself, like you had talked about, which is something I hadn't done in years. And don't get me wrong, this is the world's tiniest violin. Like I love, my job was amazing, you know, is, was, is amazing. Um, But to go out and just take a day of skiing and for once not think about, I should film this, I should document this, is my GoPro on, maybe I should take an Instagram, da, 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 to just go skiing and ski for how long I want, the runs that I want, 
didn't matter. Oh, guess what? I didn't jump off a cliff today. Ooh, didn't fucking matter. It's okay. You know, I skied flat pow all day and I had a blast, <laughs> you know, like that finally felt good. And I could feel that little spark kind of slowly igniting and, and accepting that, like, it's okay. Like we were saying earlier, not to perform, um, was huge. And like, what do you actually love in skiing? And for me, it's hanging out with my friends, skiing really fun lines, whether they're hard or not, and then cracking a beer at the bottom at the end of the day. It's a simple formula. And I just had to do that for a little bit. <laughs> and it, it pulled me out. Yeah. This actually made me think about a funny uh, hookup story that I didn't really understand at the time when I was <laughs> 20, I think. But I was living on the West Coast and I got drunk at this party and it was like a 1950s inspired party and I look freaking cute. And I ended up hooking up with this dude at the end of the night. And the next morning I woke up, my friend was like, do you know who that is? I was like, no. And she was like, that's blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh. And she was like, he's a pro surfer. I was like, word, okay, sick, sounds good. It's dope, he's really cute, so that's nice. Um, but then like, he was so freaking nice, like such a sweetheart. And we ended up like hanging out for a little while afterwards, it didn't turn into anything, but he opened up to me about how he felt about his career. And at the time, like that was before I kind of started my career in the ski industry. And um he was like, I don't love it anymore. He was like, I'm not happy. He just said, I'm not happy. And he was like, I should be happy. I should be so fucking happy. I'm living the dream. Like, this is what a lot of other people want. And I just like, I didn't, I couldn't really empathize with it, I guess. And I think that's what a lot of people see when they look at our Instagram accounts. Like I know in a group project that I had um, for class last year, this guy in my group was like, you know, a lot of people just fake doing cool shit on Instagram, but you're out, actually out there doing cool shit all the time. And I was like, mm -hmm. I guess I am, but I take it for, I don't know, it's the, the burnout really crushes that passion, which is something mm -hmm. that's difficult to navigate. So I think I finally understand what the mystery pro surfer bro was talking about. I finally understood it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that's oh, that's get a it. flashback from my young 20-year-old past. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. again, but it sounds like you're finding world. your flow. You're finding your flow again. Yes, finding it because I'm finally going to do what I want to do. Um, so I have these projects this winter that in the past I was like, oh, it's not hardcore enough. It's not extreme enough. Or I had pitched it and it would get rejected. And so I, I thought there was no clout to it. And I'm like, oh, this isn't legitimate enough. But you know what? Now I'm just going to freaking do it because I know it makes me excited. This is the most excited I've been about winter for the last few years because I finally get to do these things I've always been wanting to do. And I don't give a shit if no one thinks they're extreme enough or cool enough or hardcore enough or any of that. I get to go finally experience what I want to experience in skiing. And that is like... Oh, the rebirth. The rebirth is happening. And I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped for it. <laughs> I think yes. that's something that everybody can take note of in this episode is to like learn how to redefine your metrics for what success looks like and what for what happiness looks like in this industry. And part of that is getting rid of the male gaze, thinking that that's the standard for success and like just really mm -hmm. honing true to yourself. Because I think that's something especially women forget especially women, because we have to perform on a whole other level, including like BIPOC, LGBTQ+, like there's so many other systemic discrimination, uh, you know, 
social justice things that they that we have to work through as well. And mm -hmm. um, you know, like one one thing that you mentioned when you were signing up for uh, an episode, like scheduling, when we prompted you with questions, was that men get treated as athletes and women get treated as spokesmodels. Um, do you maybe want to speak on that a little bit? I feel like we maybe dove into it a little bit in our non-intro, but yeah, yeah, I had I. Um... You know, my I'm really grateful for the people that brought me on early in my ski career and gave me a lot of great opportunities. And the initial opportunities very much felt like uh, an athlete, and I was brought in as a as a true skier, and it was really really cool. And I definitely knew I in this trip. Um, you know, it was very much a mountaineering focused trip, very off the grid. Um, I was more green than the rest of the group, but I was eager to learn and I felt like I had a very positive attitude throughout it, you know, never complained, um, you know, did my thing, held my, held my weight. And uh, so I was really fired up. And then as my career continued on with that, that sponsor, it just slowly, I started to become less of an athlete and more as like a spokesmodel. Mind you, that sort of coincided with the fact that social media was really taking off then too. So it became more about personality, storytelling, and all that. And I happen to be good at that, which is something I really am happy for. I love talking to people. I love telling stories. Um, but I was never given the opportunity to just be a skier. I was always brought on trips to be more about the personality in front of the lens. And I started going on trips that I was really just not interested in. I was like, this is not what I want to do. You're, you're bringing me to what ski resort to talk about what chairlift? Like, I wanted to be a pro skier so I could go heli skiing in Alaska, so I could go ski pillow lines in British Columbia, so I could go ski deep pow in Japan. I didn't sign on to talk about a chairlift that's run by some major corporate conglomerate. Like, this is, you know, so I'm sitting there, like, lying through my teeth, trying to keep a happy face, and that's what was expected of me. And that was like the last time I really could actually do that. I was like, I, I can BS some shit, but the little punk rocker in me is like, you are a sellout. You need to go. And so, you know, that's just, that's just where it was like, dude, why? And, and even the, the producer pulled me aside. He's like, well, what do you want? Like, what, like what, what do you want from us? I'm like, I just want one chance in the five years I've been here to be able to go on a real ski trip like to go skiing. I spend more time in front of the camera talking about stuff than I do actually skiing. So like, go, oh, but that's what you're really good at. Like we really, you know, you got a great face for it and you have a great voice for it. And like, we really like, like to hear your stories. I'm like, that's cool, but I really like to ski. So I just, I just feel like unless you're like 1%, the top of the top of the top of the top, you are become a spokesmodel. You're lucky to get one shot of you skiing. Where with men, even if you're not the best of the best, like you get the opportunity to even go out and they're like, hey, we brought on so-and-so and we're going to show them the ropes and it's going to be sweet. I'm like, cool. Someone take me and show me the ropes. Just because you don't think I can do it doesn't mean I don't want to do it. Like, give me a chance. You know, I never felt like I got a chance to truly like showcase my abilities as a skier. And that was really disheartening because that's what blew my confidence away it was gone. I was like, well, maybe I'm a shitty skier. And then that's where the burnout happened. Just escalated. <laughs> You're not a shitty skier. 
<laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I just. Want I know to I don't have man. money. <laughs> I don't have money and anything and all that stuff, but I can tell you this. <laughs> Thanks. Whenever Renee and I feel like we're shitty at anything, our like pep talk is like, "Okay, you are a bad bitch." You are the baddest bitch in all of the motherfucking land. You have the biggest sticks. It's like we go off and it's absolutely ridiculous, but it gets the hype very high and then you do way better. So. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. Good. You got to hype yeah. each other up. Yeah. That's actually my drop-in mantra. Anytime I'm dropping in on my mountain bike or my skis, I actually just like do like three deep breaths and then I tell myself, you're a bad bitch, mm-hmm. and then I drop. Mm-hmm. That's like the that's the sequence is like mm-hmm. deep breathing you're a bad bitch okay let's go yeah let's go get it yep. let's go get yep. it it's like that uh there's that reel the sound what is it's like today we are being bad bitches not sad bitches if you're going to be a sad bitch go have a nappy nap <laughs> Do like and i'm like man i just need someone to tell me that every day every day it's like remember who you are I think that we often forget to acknowledge and appreciate where we started and how far we've come. It's always seeking Mm -hmm. that goal. We're like looking forward, but we're not really looking back to appreciate how much work went into it. So Mm -hmm. mm, big team. No, you nailed it. Big team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you nailed it. Um, Yeah. And like I was saying, kind of jumping back to it, it's just, uh, you know, the more you treat women like spokes models the less female athletes you're going to get and because the second you tell a woman her voice and her face is more important than her abilities she's going to really start to believe that and 100%. Of, of course you're you're going to start to to lose the confidence and and uh you know that's that's what we need especially in a sport where you feel like you're being judged extra hard as a female you know every mistake you make is twice as bad as when maybe our counterpart makes it. And so you put that on top of someone already telling you, you are less than Mm. you're going to start to believe it. And definitely. Yeah. It seeps in. I feel like strong bitches, but it will seep in (laughs) because we're strong because we have to fight through all of that bullshit. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like when somebody's like, wow, you're so like mature. I'm like, yeah, it's trauma trauma it's like I had to to show up at a young age okay it's like I had to like go to therapy and figure my shit out it's like yeah I'm emotionally intelligent but it's because I got fucked up um (laughs) but I also I feel like you have entered so many like masculine dominated spaces like a like riding for Harley Davidson uh, being a firefighter, like all of those types of roles are commonly associated with like masculinity and male gender mm-hmm. traits, characteristic norms, like heteronormative everything. And it's like, um, yeah, I think the the strength to push through there and assume that space is remarkable. So freaking dope that you're doing that and that you're on this podcast mm-hmm. telling other chicks that it's worth the battle, right? And by oh, you yeah. claiming that space and also through your social media following, hopefully you inspire other girls to keep fighting through it. And I know that's part of like what Womb Tang's been about is not being scared to post that photo of you progressing. It might not be up to those standards of the ski industry for X, Y, Z, but like you fucking did it. And that is so dope. 
I'm trying socks. Okay. <laughs> you always got to try, man. I mean, you'll, you know, when you ultimately male, female, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, when you pursue happiness, you'd be surprised the sort of tricks you can pull out of your hat and the, the sort of, you know, different answers and solutions you can find. And yes, I, I've been a tomboy since I was a little kid and I've been in male dominated jobs, sports since I can remember. And I love my boys. I love, I love my men. I love my boys. I love my crew. I love my brothers. Like they're huge. Um, I wouldn't be here without them. And I'm, I definitely consider myself someone that does well with guys. And actually I feel sometimes a little more awkward around females than I do guys. But at the same time, I've definitely felt even me being, you know, more one of the boys, one of the, the cool chicks that can like hang with the dudes. Even I feel, you know, put down and I feel less than from that. So I can only imagine, you know, women that are definitely more, you know, hyper female that are more within a feminine circle than myself feeling that even tenfold. And, yeah. and so ultimately we're all in it together and there's a lot of men out there that understand it too. A lot of my boys, a lot of my brothers get it. They understand where we're at, but there's a lot that don't. And 100%. it's really good that we keep addressing that, you know, and, and by no means bring down our male counterparts, but bring them with us because we need, we need this whole circle to work together because otherwise we're going to get nowhere. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We actually have so many guys that love Wombtang. It's like they vibe with it so we freaking hard. And I was like, y'all just picking us up right now. And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so freaking mm -hmm. dope. And that's like, um, you know, my uh, Wonder, one of my brand partnerships, they're the great, but like they have this narrative called standing on the shoulders of the past. And it's learning what mm -hmm. didn't work and using that to evolve pushing forward. And they're doing it in the aspect of sustainability with their product development and innovation. But what we're doing too is like we're learning that that male gaze, masculine sphere that the industry is operated in is no longer functional, just straight up. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I know that like I, I had a similar experience when I was growing up. Um, I was a hardcore tomboy loved violent movies with my dad, like wanted to skateboard, <laughs> mountain bike, ski. Like my dad always said I was the son that he never had. And I felt really uncomfortable with my femininity. But then at the same time, like in the outdoor industry, that's who I was taught to be. But then like at school and in like regular social context, I was taught that my appearance is all that mattered. So I was caught in this middle ground of wanting to be masculine, but then also being taught that you know, like I have to look a certain way. I have to dress a certain mm -hmm. way. Like I shaved my head in, for cancer when I was in grade six. So I was misgendered for a year and I didn't hit puberty till a very late age. So it was like this constant pull back and forth of who I thought I had to be. And the ski industry and like a lot of the masculine industries that you are working in, they do tell us that masculinity is strength and femininity is not, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. So over the last couple of years, I used to only feel comfortable with guys. I used to feel proud that I was one of the guys. And um, I used to feel really uncomfortable around girls also because of the amount of bullying I experienced from other girls and pushing into that femininity and like being proud of my sexuality and because um, sexuality and femininity are often seen as synonymous as well. Um, it's like not shaming myself, X, Y, Z. Like if I want to get cute, if I want to wear mascara skiing, it doesn't take away from my athletic yeah. ability, but we were told that you have to be more masculine to be taken seriously or to demonstrate strength and like not to talk in a certain way. And like that is vulnerable and weak. And that's the way that we have been positioned. But it's a, 
to take it back is empowering. And then also to see so many guys respecting it and uplifting us as well is also really inspiring. So thank mm -hmm. you to our womb tang brothers out there. You guys are helping. Yeah. Is it the <laughs> yeah. We haven't actually <laughs> figured that out yet, but you're going to figure it out. I don't know. Womb tang brothers. <laughs> it is rad though. Like guys will respond to like memes and stuff and be like, Oh, or like when I, I, when I post like DMs that girls get, guys will message back and be like, "Oh, that's bad." And I'm like, "Yeah, this is this is what we actually deal with." Like you say mm -hmm. that you don't know anyone that does it, but like every girl sees this DM and they got one. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, all the time. I kind of wonder what some of the DMs they get if they ever get like any just really bad dms from checks like out of curiosity i mean, we went I, mean I would love to know i, w I would really yeah. love to know <laughs> i think hey we... babe your skis you ride a 186 what does that say about you you know or something like you ride a 196 and then your skis are long you know what does that mean i don't know there's got to be some good ones out there <laughs> oh yeah i think one of the biggest this is like big stick energy to the t was when i was standing in the kicking horse gondola lineup and I had my like 107, like 175 skis. I'm five foot four. I'm like 161. Mm -hmm. They're way over my yeah. head. Yeah, yeah, they're they're up there. And this guy, and they were like matte black and dark purple. And I freaking loved them. They're beefy. And uh, this guy walked by me. He was like, um, are those your skis? Like really like quietly. And I was like, yeah, they are. And he was like, big skis are sexy. And then he just like walked away. And I was like, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, that's man. like that's like when a boy is like fuck you got nice turns i'm like talk dirty to me <laughs> I was like, mm. yeah or you scomp that you shred and especially when it's not like uh pre interluded with like uh yeah there's like an easy way down over there and then you have to like show them up and then they're like bite their tongue a little bit it's like when they just like come in with that you're like mm, yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah i got you because guess what? You. He's probably the one that's going to end up having to be with you later in the day. <laughs> guess 100%. what, guys? That's how it works. <laughs> I know. That's like with my uh, my current boyfriend. We went ski touring on our first date. And I like low-key like going skiing. And I'm like, this is where I feel like hot girl, hot girl self. This is like my hot girl shit. Um, and I like want to flex there a little bit. But then like sometimes you get a little too juiced up. And then you like definitely eat shit. And I definitely oh, yeah. walked off a very big cliff that day. So. <laughs> <laughs> and he probably yeah. was more turned on he was like yeah that was awesome <laughs> it was like my epitome of stunt nugget short dense and can take a hit although i probably shouldn't take a hit anymore because i've had a lot of concussions but it's fine i'm okay hey, dude. i'm okay <laughs> here's We're my fine. noggin i am um, who needs brain cells it shouldn't be it shouldn't I, be a rite of passage it is <laughs> yeah, right. we do we do that <laughs> oh okay i when we were talking about um privilege so like men having that privilege not being aware of it and then pivoting to like our uh you know like seeing our experience and validating it and supporting it there was this really good line that my professor said in my class today and it was like um unearned privileges are not merit-based these privileges only exist within a stratified or an equal society people who benefit from unearned privileges often don't sorry often do so unknowingly their advantage which is inextricably bound to others disadvantage is unrecognized so men getting an up right mm -hmm. it was like mm -hmm. that's just like such a truth bomb like i read it and i was like 
damn. I was like, they don't even realize because they've never had the experience. Of course. No, it makes absolute sense. That's why, like, you know, white people in general just don't under, like, will never understand racism, will never understand anything like that. You know, just like men won't really ever understand misogyny. Mind you, men have their own thing to deal with. You can't shame them too hard. They're supposed to be strong and masculine and they can't cry and, you know, they can't have emotions and, and so on and so forth. But, though. That's another yeah. part of the patriarchy. Yeah. Hey, guess what? If we change it all, you guys benefit too. Um, Absolutely. But yeah. You know that. Yeah. If you have privilege, of course, you're not going to recognize it, you know? Um, yeah. It, it makes total sense. <laughs> I know. And it was like, this includes male privilege, cisgender privilege, white privilege, heterosexual privilege, and class, which is economic privilege, also able-bodied. Like there's so many mm-hmm. different aspects that we don't even consider. Um, mm-hmm. Freaking bananas. Society, when you actually get into like how society is constructed and the associations that you have about your identity, your value as you operate in like macro and micro cultures, it's, it's really freaking weird to see how you've come together as an individual. And I think this podcast has done really well at highlighting that and sharing those experiences. So it's like mm-hmm. people listening to it are like, damn. I didn't know it was that by it. It's like, yeah, no, it yeah. is, bro. It is. And I think no, for the girls, and, and, too, like, all the chicks are like, oh, man, like, I feel that way. Like, I also feel that way. And I think that's why people vibe with a lot of it. And, like, there's a lot of dude bros that are like, I, I don't get it at all. And it's not for them. And I But they still support. Fine, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. there's a lot of people who are like, wow, you said what I was thinking. Yeah. Totally. And, and I recognize my privilege too. Like I, you know, I'm blonde hair, blue eyed, like, you know, I, I, I do well in front of a camera and that a hundred percent helped me out. You know, would I have gotten some of the opportunities I did, you know, starting out, I was more brought on as like a ski model than a skier. And those opportunities allowed me to create a portfolio, which allowed me to get sponsors in the long run. But, you know, without that, without that leg up, I may have not been able to, you know, kind of burst in the industry that way I did. And, and I recognize that privilege and, you know, I'm grateful for it. Um, but, you know, it, it definitely, it only goes, it takes you so far. You know, there is a time when you're actually asked to be tested, but, you know, recognizing it, utilizing it, and then using it for the greater good is, is at the least you can do when you have privilege in your corner, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah. I think the fact that you recognize that is really important too. Like, um, sorry guys, I'm all hyped up on my feminist class right now. But those uh, those standards, like blonde hair, blue eyes, those are called Western uh, beauty standards. Um, mm-hmm. And what those mean is that through this kind of patriarchal lens, uh, that physical appearance of women is often is often depicted in visual popular culture. So like in the media, products, toys, all that kind of stuff as being attractive. And it's like, as women, like white women, if we can meet that standard, we still feel the pressure, but we don't experience like the full spectrum of mm-hmm. discrimination for women that can't meet that, especially when that's depicted in like white privileged sports, they feel even more other than. So like having, you know, um, a member of the BIPOC community wanting to enter that space, they don't see themselves as an athlete especially when athletes for women are depicted as ski models, not having athletic value, but mm-hmm. rather appearance value, which is part of the problem. Right. And yeah. it's like, 
that's why we hold ourselves to such higher standards because it's like we've never seen a chick doing these things. It's always been dudes. It's always been like X, Y, Z. And then apply that to like someone in the BIPOC community, somebody in the trans community. Like it's just like you see how deeply flawed this industry is. And it's really freaking cool to see people recognizing that privilege, um, doing what they can with it. And yeah, talking about it and also the level of support that people are offering and compassion and like having the courage to say, yo, I was wrong about that. Like, mm -hmm. thank you for teaching me something new. And I'm going to take that into new interactions and new investments and new postings and all that kind of stuff. Cause I've seen that so much this year. And that's the kind of shit that makes me feel inspired to keep grinding through the hustle when I'm not making enough money, but damn, I'm passionate about what I'm doing, but I'm burnt mm -hmm. out. And I think that's how we all feel right now. <laughs> so, yeah, no, yeah. totally. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, two versions of it. It's like, oh, you know, you wouldn't be where you are today if you weren't you know, cute or blonde or any of that, or, oh my God, from, especially from guys, it's like, man, if, if I was a chick, these are like, you say, you know, middle of the pack male skiers, like, oh, if I was a chick, I'd be the best skier in the world. And it's like, there's just, there's so much more to it than that. You know, jumping back to like, oh, the only reason that you are where you are today is because, you know, you happen to be cute. I'm like, you know what? Fuck you, motherfucker. You know how many emails I've sent out, how many rejections I've got, how many freaking times I've, I'm on the phone, I'm on my computer, I'm hustling, hustling, hustling. I'm constantly trying to get my sponsorships. I'm constantly trying to renew my contracts, constantly trying to get paid. Like, yes, this was a foot in the door, not going to lie, but it doesn't maintain the door staying open and you have to keep working your ass off and you have to actually prove yourself to a level that you're worth it. You still have to be a businesswoman. You have to be an entrepreneur and to make this work, especially nowadays where your talent alone does not carry you in this industry. You have to be the full package. You have to be an athlete. You have to be a spokesperson. You have to be a personality. You have to be a storyteller. You have to do everything. You have to be on top of the social media. You got to create your own content. You got to do all this. Like there's, there's a lot more to it than people think. And a lot of people think I just skate by being like little influencer Kalen. It's like, no, dude, I wake up every day trying to figure out, all right, how am I going to make my next move? Where is my future going? Because it's so unpredictable. And yes, we get privileged, but just because you have privilege does not mean you still don't have to work somewhat hard, especially as a woman, especially as a woman, or yes. especially as a person of color, especially the LGBT community, you know, like it's, ugh, it's so frustrating when people say that, I'm like, oh, you're only there because you, you're cute. Fuck you, dude. Fuck you. <laughs> no. you. You know where a lot of those privileged dudes that don't realize their privilege are taking that argument is that like mm -hmm. there's not as much competition in women's skiing. So that like like they feel like their skill levels, they have to constantly push that adrenaline, like super risky development and progress in their athleticism. And they feel like women get it because of their looks. So that's where they're fucking bitter because they feel like they're putting their asses on the line, but they don't realize we mm -hmm. are also putting our asses on the line every day, like mentally, mm -hmm. emotionally, like the amount of shit that we have to put up with and deal with being devalidated and objectified is really fucking difficult. And mm -hmm. it's like, you know, somebody appreciating you for your appearance and not what you bring to the table as an athlete, intellectual XYZ is objectification. It is. Yep. The I have to ski hard and then I have to take my helmet off and be like, Oh, that was a beautiful line. Oh my God. Mm, so fun. Maybe and if my hair is off, my hair is running that way. <laughs> all I'm going to hear about is like, Ooh, she looked like shit after she skied that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Go on, get, go on, get, go on, get it. But, uh, mm. yeah.
we still just, as oh sorry go Renee it just makes you also feel like you need to prove to these people that you are not just that pretty face that it's not you're not getting this just because you're a girl like you're actually good at skiing mm -hmm. and because I feel like I had a, kind of a similar story to you kind of Kaylin where I started skiing later on so I was always trying to prove I'm good at skiing, not I'm good at skiing for a girl or I'm good at skiing for someone who's only skied for six, seven years. I'm just straight up good at skiing. And that's what I want people to know about me. So you're mm -hmm. constantly trying to prove that. And yet people just want lifestyle shots from you. And you're like, oh, this hurts. This hurts so yep. much. <laughs> yep. Yep. You nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. For five years, I was with my last sponsor every single time. It was like when I was with the team all I could think about it was like I had to prove myself I had to prove myself I had to prove myself and of course I wasn't better than those guys are you kidding me those are some of the best male skiers in the entire freaking world like to you know yes I could kind of like keep up but of course I'm not going to keep up with them and so I would absolutely destroy myself internally for that and it just, it ate me alive. It absolutely ate me alive. So they'd be like, oh, we're going to go skiing. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to like go. I got something to do. I got a phone call or whatever because I was too embarrassed or too shy or too scared to be less than instead of thinking like, hey, maybe these people just want to ski with you for fun and just go have fun. They don't care. You know, they, it might not be, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily judging you. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But internally we are so hard on ourselves because we think that and because we're conditioned to think if you're not doing your best and if you're not keeping up with these people then you're not worthy of your position mm -hmm. like talk about a mental fuck <laughs> oh definitely I actually think yeah. that this year like when I stepped back when I was depressed from content and just focused on skiing was the first time that I experienced like I don't give a fuck I'm gonna ski that it's like I rolled up, my beats are playing. I was super pumped up and I was in the flow and like everybody's lined up on this like white horn one. And I was like, there's like a four cliff back to back and a 360 jump at the end. And I was like, I want to ski that. And I just, I skied it and I nailed it. And mm -hmm. I didn't even think about like performing or doing X, Y, Z. It was just like, I saw it, I felt the passion and I did it. And one thing that I realized is the more that I dipped into that headspace um, throughout like this season was that there were girls who were coming to ski with myself and my friend group for the first time who were experiencing what I used to experience. Like, oh, like, I'm not good enough to ski with you guys. Or like, I don't feel this. Or I don't feel like, you know, like, oh, I just didn't ski that that well. And you can hear them talking about themselves that entire time. And like, I do that too, 100%. Like, had a filming mm -hmm. like commercial shoot at the end of the season where I called Renee in like full panic attack because I felt like I was skiing like shit and I was letting everybody down. But um, like, holding that space for other people and making sure it's like a safe space is something you constantly like, yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I think that's something that Wumtang has done a really good job of. Um, and that like everyone in our community has done is making sure everyone feels welcome. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. everybody's know you're not alone. We all feel like that no matter how mm -hmm. good you are. It's like, it's yes. hard to be out there when you're held to these standards, but yeah. And yeah. Hey, you have skis on your feet. Guess what? You're a skier. There you go. Mm -hmm. It's there okay. Go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We are all skiers. Yeah. You're a skier. I'm a skier. We're skiers. Big stick energy, baby. 
collectively. <laughs> um, I think uh, this has been a dope conversation. I feel like we've hit so many important things. And I think we dove a little bit more into some topics that we've brushed on in past episodes, which is awesome. And the concept of burnout, but we um, think we unfortunately got to wrap it up because we're guilty of talking too much sometimes. I don't know yeah, why I just course. went Southern there, but I did. Um, <laughs> uh, another accent from Tori. <laughs> I wonder if somebody can make like a bingo card for all the episodes of how many accents I have. <laughs> That'll be a real someday of like all the different accents. Yeah. I mean, it's all recorded somewhere. We hit Batman, Western, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what oh, it yeah. is. But I like my, it. The more I drink, the more my Idaho slang comes out, especially when I'm in Idaho. Idaho. It's like Y'all no matter what, I'm going to get it. That one got like really. <laughs> um, anyways, whew, put that away. Um, Caitlin, do you want to take this opportunity to, you know, plug any sponsors? This is kind of your, your time to shine, close it out, tell people where to find you. Yeah. Hey, guys. I uh, appreciate y'all listening in. Um, but yeah, you can find me on the old Instagrammer. That's about the only place you'll find me because I don't do Facebook. Um, but it's at Kaylin Thorian. And yeah, come follow me along, you know, whether it's moments of introspection, moments of goofiness. You know, I like beer and I like poetry. It's sort of a whole hodgepodge. Don't ask me for my playlist because it's too weird anyways. And uh, yeah, big shout out to uh, Backcountry and Smartwool and Harley Davidson for supporting me through the highs and lows. I really appreciate it. But also to the community out there. You know, you guys are great. Without you guys, I wouldn't be sitting here. I think a lot of us wouldn't be sitting here. And, uh, you know, let's keep the the social world positive and full of stoke. Let's keep this winter full of stoke. Let's support our brothers, our sisters, every person of color, every person, regardless of where they're going in their life. It's all love because two skis are two skis. Snow is snow. Let's keep it like that. That was freaking beautiful. Remember, guys, it's frozen <laughs> water, plastic, and wood. Variable two skis or two skis. Don't get too excited. It's just freaking skiing. On that note, flex that big stick energy. Have a great week, everybody, and we will see you next Monday.